what is this week five of uh, quarantine stay at home shelter in place guys welcome to season three episode four of the texture lounge the covid19 edition as always i'm your host tumi shoinka so in this episode we are following a slightly different format to the usual i have three guests first up is diallo brooks Diallo Brooks is a speaker, an activist, social justice champion, and he's also the senior director of outreach and public engagement at People for the American Way. So you'll get to know a little bit more about him and his work a little bit later. Uh, next up, uh, we have Dr. Okem Okapara, who is a medical doctor, and he's also the medical director of Austin Emergency Center. They have four locations out in Austin, and he is the medical director for two of them. And last but absolutely not least is Nicole Clark, a dear friend and also a survivor of COVID-19. My vision for this episode was really to bring together some subject matter experts who have had the experience of dealing with COVID in some way, shape or other. And let's have a meaningful conversation about what COVID is doing to the black community today. So as always, sit back, kick back, relax, take off your shoes, get comfortable, get your beverage of choice, and let's have this conversation. Thank you for joining me today. How are you all doing? Doing well. Very well. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great. Okay, look, I did very short intros for um, each of you, but... I'd love you guys to kind of take um, a minute, a minute and a half to just explain a bit more about, you know, where you're located and uh, what you do. Um, Diallo, would you like to kick off? Sure. Uh, Diallo Brooks again uh, here in Washington, D.C., working uh, for People for the American Way. Uh, We do a lot of uh, social justice work uh, and also a lot of pushback against some of the like right wing extremist voices that are out there. Um, And this topic kind of hit home, hit home because of uh, really the impact it's having on uh, black and brown communities or the the disproportionate impact that it's having on those communities. And so just happy to be a part of this conversation, uh, be able to really talk about why we need to make, you know, double down our efforts to make sure that uh, our communities are protected um, and that we're paying attention to what's happening and the disparities and some of the reasons behind those disparities and really, you know, pushing ourselves forward, uh, looking at what our new normal uh, can and should be uh, moving um moving forward into the future. Um, like I said, you know, we've done, done a lot of work around this this issue, but also a lot of issues that are impacting this, um, even the how government is uh, responding and supporting uh, communities that are impacted. Um, so like I said, I'm, you know, very happy to be a part of this conversation. I think it's incredibly important. It's really shaping, you know, our, our lives and our children's lives and our families' lives. And so we have to make sure we're we're in, the, we're in the fight. Amazing. Thank you, Diallo, for being a part of this conversation. Nicole, tell us a bit about you and where you are. Yes. Um, my name is Nicole Clark. I'm um, normally based in London. I've been in London for the past 10 years where I'm a vice president at a, an investment bank. I'm currently in Detroit, Michigan um, to be with my family and my friends um, during the crisis. And um, Nicole did contract COVID-19. She'll share a bit more about that later. We're just super pleased and, you know, 
glad that she's back to 100%. So, uh, Nicole, thank you again for taking the time to, to speak to us today. Yeah, sure. And Okem, Dr. Okem Okpara, tell us a bit about you. Where are you located? And how has COVID-19 impacted your work so far? Yes, I am uh, in Austin, Texas, and I work at a freestanding emergency room. There are actually four locations here in Austin. Um, I'm the medical director of two of the locations. Mm -hmm. And it's affected our my daily practice, and really in the sense that for the first time I started doing patient assessments outside. I mean, the first time I walked outdoors to evaluate a patient, it was extremely awkward and uh, yeah, I caught myself apologizing for two or three weeks anytime I went outdoors to interview patients. I'm like, this is un unprecedented. Mm -hmm. and, and that was prior to us developing our drive through a, a car side assessment that we have now. But of course, prior to all of this, every patient that needed to be seen by a physician would come inside the ER right. and be seen. And during flu season, the patient would get a regular surgical mask and I'd wear a mask and that'd be the end of it. But there was never any time prior to this that we remotely considered evaluating or interviewing patients outside in the parking lot. Right. Um, since the outside interviews, we have progressed to the car side assessment where the patients are kept in their cars and paperwork and registration is sent in to our registration personnel at the front desk via the person's phone, emailed in so that they don't even have to handle a pen and hand it back to us. So actually, we have some disposable pens that we give them to patients to fill out paperwork. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. So we have really tried to limit the amount of direct contact between any patient who remotely has symptoms that could be construed as related to COVID. And I'm sure we're going to touch on some of those symptoms later. So it's been... Um, Real unprecedented in that way. By the same token, or along the same lines, patients who otherwise would come in for other stuff don't really come in anymore. So mm. the truth is that most of the patients that we are seeing in the ER, we are assessing either via um, an iPad uh, tablet. We have one outside and one inside that I do the uh, patient interviews through now mm -hmm. or on the phone. And the patients are staying in their vehicles. So it's and the people that were otherwise coming in for abdominal pain or vomiting or whatever other symptoms they have are not coming in as much anymore. Mm. So um, that's that's where things are right now. Got it. Well, again, thank you for thanks for every like everything that you're doing out there to keep us safe. Like it's totally appreciated. You you're totally on the front lines here. So. Um, Gosh, this, this is really unprecedented times, really and truly is. But before we get into the detail of COVID-19, I just want to touch on a couple of you guys' names, right? So I've been, I've been doing a little bit of um, a deep dive, in, deep dive, I should say, into the meanings behind our names, our experiences as, um, you know, having names from the motherland, etc. Um, so I'm just curious, and we won't spend too much time on this, but um, Diallo, great name, beautiful name. <laughs> Do you know, what, what does it mean and where is it from? Uh, it's, uh, it's a West African name uh, within the Senegalese region. Um, it means bold. Uh, and, you know, it's, 
it's a name that's been like really kind of uh, particularly growing up in America really kind of shaped my connection to the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also my middle name is Kamau. And so having Diallo Kamau meaning bold and Kamau being quiet warrior kind of was kind of a nice it was a strong name kind of growing up, but also it just kind of just shaped my my thinking and my connectedness, um, just my awareness beyond just kind of the traditional Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we all grew up uh, in an environment <laughs> where we were really uh, uh, made to be aware of our, our connectedness to our folks on the motherland. Um, I have family members that have done traveling, some extensive traveling. Actually, my stepfather did some traveling. My mother and my sister have done traveling as well. And so just being able to, you know, have that connectedness, mm-hmm. you know, having the name be a part of who I am was, uh, was, was really important to me. I love that. Bold, quiet warrior. I didn't know that. And it, it, it clearly does line. I, I'm one of those people that truly believes that, um, what you name your children is what they become. You know, the meaning behind your name is what sh- shapes their lives um, in the end of it. So clearly a lot of the work that you've been doing, I've been, you know, reading some of your pieces, um, the work you're doing to fight for our communities. Um, you are bold and, you know, you are, I don't know if I'd call you a quiet warrior, um, <laughs> but you're certainly a warrior, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but thank you for sharing. Love that. Um I know Cam, so I know your I know Cam is short for sure, something yeah. else, which you'll share. What does it mean? Where is it from? Well, it's uh, I am Nigerian and Igbo. So, and I'm not sure if you have two middle names, but I have two middle names. Okay. And um, so, Okeme, Okem is short for Okemefuna, which means Okem is my share or my portion. Efuna means do not, Efuna, do not lose, don't get lost. And so it means my portion, presumably in life, I guess, should not, should not get lost. So should not be lost. Mm. Um, and real quickly, I'm going to go through my middle name, my second name, which is Ihanacho, meaning I have two older sisters. I'm one of six kids. Okay. I have two older sisters. And my parents were looking for a boy. They wanted a boy when I was born. And so Ihanacho means what we are looking for, that which is sought after, something to that effect. Got it. And then the other, my third name is really just, um, Obiyama just means kind heart, which I think I'm a nice enough Yeah, I think heart. that lines up. So, so <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, so that's what, that's what my name means. Have you ever had anyone try to like westernize it, give you another name that just wasn't? Here's, here's a super quick story. Interesting. When we moved back, to, I was born in Brooklyn, like I said, and my family moved to Nigeria when I was five. We lived in Nigeria for 10 years. And when we were coming back to the States in 94, one of my mom's sisters, I vividly recall, I don't have tons of mem- my memories, crap, but I do recall her saying, uh, when you go back to America, you better give yourself a, an English name. Otherwise, they will, you know, those be- So on the flight from Nigeria to back to the U.S., I was like, okay, what can I call myself? And I came up with Alex, Alexander the Great. Don't ask me why. So <laughs> when I was in college, my, all my friends in college know me as Alex. No. I promise. So... And it wasn't until it wasn't until my fourth year of 
college, getting into med school that I was like, wait a second, well, you know, what's this? And, and so when I started med school, I went back to OCHEM. Mm. But all my friends from college know me as Alex. And then everybody that's met me since med school, and actually, and, and my college friends now know me as Ocam of course, too. Right. But in college, for four years, I went by Alex. Matter of fact, my first Social Security card that I updated when I moved back to the U.S. had, had Alexander on it. Yeah, totally. Oh, like that, you know what? I never knew that. That is incredible. <laughs> I, there, now you know. Uh. <laughs> Diallo, what about you? Did anyone, um, did you have a westernized name? Did you, did you feel compelled to have one or not really? Well, I mean, interesting story is that um, coming up, a lot of folks used to like to call me Diablo. Uh And so like the kids used to mess with me and say, oh, Diablo. And I was like, yo, my name is Diallo. Right. Growing up, growing up in my household, my mother was very adamant about like really having a connectedness to my name, and so I didn't really let folks have nicknames for me early on um, when I was when I was young. I was I don't know where this came from, but like my mom was like, "Yo, you know, your name is Diallo. Be proud of it. That's who you are. That's your heritage." Mm-hmm. And so I was people call me Diallo. But I got a little bit older, um, particularly like when I was in college, you know. I play basketball. I'm tall, uh, six seven. So guys used to call me BD, uh, stuff gotcha. like that, and kind of let that slide. Um, but you know, folks tended to jack it up, and actually, it's a relatively easy to kind of pronounce name. So it's not something you know for Western folks. So it's not. <laughs> There's no <laughs> excuse. Right. It's not difficult. Right. And so, but like I said, I mean, my household, all of our, all of my siblings, you know, you have. Oba, Oba, who's Obataye, you have Allende, you have Omari, who's my other brother, uh, and Dalila. Um, we all have African names. So being in a household with names like that, it was just mm-hmm. always, uh, you know, who we were. <laughs> and yeah. so like, I, I try to hold strong to it, uh, you know, even now. Um, but, you know, every now and again, some folks try to mess it up. But I mean, like tell folks it's not that hard. I mean, if you could say John or Jonathan or something like that, you can say Diallo. I mean, if you can say Tchaikovsky, like right, exactly, right. Hey, exactly. you can say Diallo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, thank you for sharing, guys. Look, okay, let's let's get straight into it. Okay, coronavirus versus COVID nineteen. What exactly is the difference between the two? Can you help explain um, explain that? Essentially, I mean. Coronavirus is a family of viruses that include, and don't quote me on how, how many, there, there are several others. There are at least four others um, that have been around actually for a while and that actually get routinely tested for. Most of the other viruses cause you know, the, the common cold. And so most people don't, in the ER at least, we don't test people for the common cold, even though there is a respiratory panel that lists, I don't know, about 15 to 20 of the viruses that cause the common cold, rhinoviruses, adenoviruses. But coronaviruses, coronavirus refers to the family of viruses. And apparently corona means because the, the, when you, if on the microscope, the virus has these tentacle-looking things that looks like a crown. And I think corona is Latin for crown or something like that. Yeah. So COVID-19 is this new novel virus. It's this new novel coronavirus or 
subset from the family that we hadn't seen prior to December of 2019 that apparently originated in Wuhan, China. I mean, we're not quite clear exactly where I've heard varying stories, but COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus SARS-2, because the SARS virus and the MERS virus, I'm not sure if you guys remember about the SARS and the MERS virus back mm-hmm. in, um, I think, 2005 and maybe 2009 or something, were pretty serious strains of coronaviruses that, that caused a really severe form of the flu. Didn't kill as many people and wasn't as contagious as this current one. So they eventually petered out. But this new COVID-19 virus, which again, like I said, belongs to the family of coronaviruses, is very similar to what we call the SARS virus back in, I think it was 2005. um, But this COVID-19 virus is much more contagious. And so a lot more people have contracted it than did SARS, the original SARS or MERS. But it's not as... uh, lethal. So despite the numbers of people who have died, I mean, it's as a percentage of the people who have contracted it, it's a much smaller percentage of people who have died from it. Um, There's a much smaller percentage of people dying from COVID-19 versus SARS or the other way around? Okay. Correct. Correct. Got it. Okay. And you were sharing earlier on that, so you have been treating, um, COVID-19 patients, you'd mentioned earlier on that um, you've done about 300, 400 tests already at your ER. Right. Um, and about 15 of them have come back positive. Right. Right? Correct. Are you seeing any trends in terms of the average profile of those who are testing positive? You know, is, is it in, you know, um, I don't know, an age group trend, an ethnicity trend, anything like that that you're seeing? No, I haven't noticed any, and, and I'll be, I'll preface it by saying, I mean, I'm working with a very small subset or subgroup, right? So my N number is small. I wouldn't draw any conclusions from either the 300 people that we've tested and certainly not from the small number of 15 that have turned back mm-hmm. positive. But based on what I've seen on the television, on the CDC website, I mean, I, yep. it's, it's sort of, it sort of has run the gamut of ages, now, the problem is that it doesn't cause, miraculously, it doesn't cause severe illness in kids and children. Mm-hmm. So pediatric patients who, who are positive for coronavirus apparently have, look like they have the cold or runny nose, which they always have. Like, you know, I have a daughter that's in, in, in uh, daycare. She always has a runny nose. Mm-hmm. And so when a kid has corona, this COVID-19, they don't look really ill. Why is it? Why do we, do you, do you know why it is that kids don't um, tend to contract it? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's again, there's, there's, there's a lot about this virus that they don't, that we, you know, that people just don't know yet. It's new, it's novel, and they're trying to accumulate all the data in real time. Um, unlike the flu virus, who we know, we know causes more severe virus at the, uh, more severe illness at the extremes of age. So in older people and in young young kids, this um, COVID nineteen virus apparently causes a much more severe illness in older patients, and apparently in patients who have medical comorbidities, so high blood pressure, diabetes, 
um, coronary artery disease, asthma, cancer. Um, and for some strange reason, not really severe disease in kids. So, mm-hmm. and, and I've seen it runs the entire age, age range. Um, I will mention this statistic that may also be skewing what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, according to the CDC, 80% of people who contract COVID-19 will have a mild to moderate form of the disease, which either means they may have what looks like a common cold or they may think they have the flu, right? And so um, if they think they have a common cold or a mild or even moderate case of the flu, they may not even go get tested. So those people are not um, going to get counted in the stats because they're not going to get tested anywhere. Right. Um, 80, uh, 20% of the people apparently have a form of it that is severe enough to warrant hospital admission or seek um, care by a doctor. And so 20% of the people will be hospitalized. And of that 20%, 5% roughly, based on the numbers so far, wind mm-hmm. up in the ICU. Mm-hmm. So because okay. of this high percentage of people who have just mild to moderate disease, that may not come in and get tested, those people are not going to be counted in the numbers. And so it's going, and, mm. and so it's more likely going to skew the numbers of people that we test to probably the higher or the extreme, extremes of age because most of the younger people aren't, you know, have a mild form of the disease. And then before I stop, there was a, a study out of the, I think out of Sweden, that yep. showed that Iceland that showed that 50% of the people in Iceland that tested positive were completely asymptomatic. Mm. So the point I'm making is that it's this virus is so strange in that it is killing people and causing severe disease, even in some people in their 30s and 40s. Yep. Um, but it's a vast majority of people have a mild to moderate form of disease or are asymptomatic and are probably not even getting tested at all. So their age and their demographic information, their ethnicity, all of that stuff isn't being the we're not accumulating any data on those people because they don't they don't know they have it. Okay. So let's talk about the symptoms. How does it actually show up? Like what are the types of symptoms? I mean we've we've read a ton of different things, um, but just from a medical point of view, level set that playing field for us. The most common symptoms people present with would be fever cough and difficulty breathing. Um, I think the combination of fever and cough was seen in about 70% of people mm-hmm. across the board. And I'm not sure if those are, again, just CDC numbers in the U.S. or okay. taken across all of the countries who have sent in data. But fever and cough are by far the most common symptoms. And then difficulty breathing, um, body aches, and what we call basically flu-like symptoms, sore throat as well. And then um, there are some other symptoms that we have seen consistently, like, and you guys may have heard of the people who have lost the sensation of smell or taste mm-hmm. as, they're, as they're presenting symptom, even prior to having a fever. There have been several cases of people who presented with diarrhea mm-hmm. as their only symptom, which is actually kind of, you know, really alarming. There are some people who have presented... Um, with a non-specific rash as their symptom, and I've even heard of really? some patients who presented yes, who presented with 
no symptom at all and wound up getting a chest x-ray or a CAT scan for some other reason and were found to have significant inflammatory changes in their lungs. Wow. Incredible. So it really just sort of runs the gamut. And, you know, like I said, at our heart ER, we are, so, we are seeing people who have the most common presentation, fever, cough, mm-hmm. sore throat, body aches, headache. If you have any of those symptoms, we see you in your car outside. You don't even come into the ER. Right. But if you have diarrhea, you still come in. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so someone who has diarrhea could have it. Or, you know, somebody who has just a headache without a fever. Could have theory, it. Could have it. Exactly. So, um it's it's a real it's 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 uh, there's also a lot about the virus that we don't know and they're not really the 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 present the presenting symptoms sort of runs the gamut. There are several cases. I'm on two groups on Facebook: physician groups, invitation only groups. Uh, there are uh, COVID groups, and and there one of the groups in particular has a lot of intensivists on it, as in critical care or ICU doctors. Yeah. And and several. Um, emergency room docs as well. And I have, they, several of them have written about cases of people who walked in to the ER with, I don't know if you guys know what an oxygen saturation is, the thing they put on your finger to tell how much oxygen I've is had getting those into your blood from your lungs. Right. So some, some of the patients have literally walked in with oxygen saturations of 80%. Now, it just if it's not very clear to you how insane that is the normal range should be 96 percent to 100 percent 100 percent is the best it could be and mm-hmm. the range is 96 percent to 100 percent if somebody has some kind of condition that prevents oxygen that you breathe in from getting into your lungs and crossing your lung tissue into your bloodstream asthma for instance pneumonia maybe yeah. a collapsed lung or something you know, it goes down 94, 93, you know, 92, we were, were excited in the ER. We're like, we're alarmed, like, crap, we need to maybe intubate this person and put them on a vent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I heard in New York, they were sending people with SATs of 90 home, which is unbelievable because prior to COVID-19, anyone with a saturation of 90 or less would be admitted to the ICU mm. without doubt. Mm-hmm. But wow. they have had so many sick people that obviously they had to treat, you know, they've got to triage the sickest in and, and I'm going to put the sickest in quotations because clearly anybody who has a saturation of 90 is not stable. And those people are sent home with simple oxygen. And uh, they have said that cases of people who walked in not knowing they had anything and their saturation yeah. was 89%, wow. which just boggles my mind. Yeah, and so you put, you know, they would check the saturation of that patient. They see it's in the low 90s or high 80s. And, of course, the next thing they would do would be to check the patient's lungs. And the chest x-ray or CAT scan would show that they have significant inflammation um, mm-hmm. or inflammatory changes in their lungs. And that's how the patients get diagnosed. Um, and I think that's actually part of the reason why it hit New York the highest. Because initially, these people were coming in before there was a lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, these people were not known to have COVID. So the docs that were treating them were not wearing masks. And so a lot of healthcare professionals in New York, in Boston, 
And I'm not sure if Chicago or any of the cities in Michigan or in Detroit were also in there, but in Boston and in New York, for sure, I heard of um, um, I heard of several that a lot of healthcare professionals contracted it because some of these patients who had no symptoms and were found incidentally or coincidentally to have um, abnormal findings on their X-ray tested positive for COVID, but of course they had spread it to pretty much everybody who had seen them in the hospital system before the diagnosis was made. So Incredible. So mm. did you did you guys hear these the very early rumblings uh, when Corona or COVID-19 first um, sort of took off? There was a lot of people in the black community that were saying, oh, we're immune to it. Something about the melanin in our skin that I... Like, what were your thoughts? I'm curious. I mean, this made me smirk um, a lot because it's simply can't be true. It's not true. Um, we now know that it's not true. I mean, we have we have Nicole here, obviously, with us, who is you know African American and had the virus. So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about how you contracted COVID nineteen and what symptoms you experienced. Yeah, sure. I contracted COVID-19 through a friend. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm based in London and had came to Detroit to be with my mom as she was diagnosed with cancer um, at the end of February. And so I'm in and out of the hospital with her and consider myself a germaphobe. So I'm like super alerted. I'm on the plane alerted. I'm, you know, knowing coronavirus is happening and knowing that it wasn't an ideal to travel. Um, and so I'll just start there because I think a lot of people... Um, think that there's a misconception of carelessness or, um, you know, you just going out and doing something crazy. And so I'll start off to say that, that that's generally how I am, just a bit more germaphobe than not. And so um, and just wanting a break in the day, I have four goddaughters um, with one of my from one of my best friends and decided to go over there for the weekend um, to help with some school um, for a couple of days in the week and um, just to spend time with them and to kind of like, you know, get some of that kid energy, um, if you will. And so I went over to my friend's house as normal. I had did some shopping that day and um, had dropped off things at my grandmother's house, my aunt house, who's pretty much in the house all the time, just to help out my dad and um, took some things over my friend's house. And he was cooking chili as normal, cooking dinner and um, had a slight cough, but nothing that would alarm you, nothing that would um, make you cautious or make any of us nervous or to be honest, talking about COVID-19 outside of just what was going on in the news. Mm -hmm. we, um, around nine o'clock, he said it, he started to not feel well. He maybe felt like I'm just tired. I've been working all day. At this point, he was still going in and out of the office. It just felt like that he was becoming tired. And so we all chatted. We also noticed that his daughter, um, who was four years old, has started to um, kind of like not play with her sisters as much. And so she we checked and she had a slight fever, nothing alarming. But um, he decided to run out and go get some children's Tylenol. And um, just before, you know, they ran out. So he did that, came back in had some cold medicine for himself just in case he said he felt like if he got sick and um, gave it to his daughter. By the next day at two o'clock, she was fine. The next day he um, went into work and he said he did, he felt much better. He just probably needed some rest and um, was trying to deal with his job to see if they were gonna let them work from home. 
two people had caught in sick that day. And so they decided to let everyone come home. When he came home around 11 o'clock that afternoon, um, he made a sandwich, went upstairs. We didn't see him for two and a half weeks after that. His symptoms came abruptly. Um, So by that afternoon, by that evening, he was full-blown symptomatic. Um, I'm there with his wife and his four girls. So it's seven of us in the house. And we're like, whoa, you know, like, oh, you know, he's not just tired. And to find out that a colleague, fiance, had been exposed because she's a medical professional and was still coming, you know, still with her fiance. And he was coming in and out of the office to work for days. And so I went on a Wednesday by um, Saturday night. I want to say I started to get chills. Um, We had I had been fine throughout the day. I actually started listening to some podcasts and hearing about other stories on Friday. And we still were kind of hopeful and thinking that, you know, maybe it's just the flu. Maybe it's just a cold. Still not COVID-19 for my friend. And so um, on Saturday, I started to get chills Mm -hmm. and um, slight body aches. And so on Sunday, I pretty much had body aches, particularly in my eyes. Like I could feel if I press my eyelids yeah. it, um, and I could start feel achy. You know that feeling when you're yeah. starting to come with something. Yeah. And so um, my friend was in his room quarantined at this point. I was at the top of their landing outside of his room. And I was just saying, I was like, yeah, I'm starting to feel like I'm achy too. And that's what started to alarm all of us. Like, while this may be something a bit more serious, maybe it could be COVID-19. So I took my temperature kind of like halfway still thinking I'm fine, just maybe I'm getting tired or, you know, all the traveling and going in and out of the hospital with my mom. And I took it in my ears. One was 99. The other one was 100.5. I was completely shocked. I had not felt like I was having a fever. The only thing that kind of was more present was the chills and slight body aches um, in some parts of my body. His wife at that time was like, you need to quarantine yourself. Um, So I was subjected to the family room. And I and by that evening, my taste and smell had gone. And by Monday, I had full, um, full symptoms. I had a fever. My fever over the days got up to 102. I had no taste, no smell. I um, had a cough. I um, had the body aches. And um, only now, like when Dr. Okim is speaking and hearing other people, I did experience diarrhea, but I just thought my body is regular. I'm thinking I'm, you know, going a bit more than I normally would. And, um, you know, not to be, but to be helpful, it wasn't loose. It wasn't, it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like diarrhea. It felt like I was going a bit regularly. And uh, I would say maybe two days it it felt more diarrhea-like, but at that point in time, only until the past couple of days that I even linked that to COVID-19, I, I would, I that if I would have just had that, I wouldn't have went in. And so, um, I had a full fever for seven days. And so I started to experience a lot of the things that Dr. Okim was saying people were, um, I had the shortness of breath as well. Mine, you know, to be fully transparent, you know, I'm in the mild category as mine wasn't one that required me to go to the hospital. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I could, feel, I kind of describe it to people like, if you take a deep breath, I could not do that. I could probably go halfway. And then I felt like I would start coughing severely or that it just started to like 
increase my breath and my heart rate. And so I think a part of it was, you know, you're starting to get anxious. So I would say if you have um, something that you're used to expanding fully, probably go half that way. But I never felt that I couldn't breathe. I never felt that I was catching my breath to a point where I needed assistance. And I never felt that I um, was having fluid or any liquids or anything in my lungs that was causing me to have issues. So I um, decided not to to the hospital and to the doctor and both me and my friend um just rested at home and took care of things at home and so we didn't go to a hospital man nicole that that's that's hard and i think that's the thing especially in our community we're like well i'm not doing we were doing everything that was according to the regulation you know for me when i was in the hospital like talking to the doctors for my mom i wouldn't shake their hand i wouldn't you know talk to the nurses i was practicing the six feet because i think in london in europe where i lived it was already starting to become a bit bigger story than it was here in the u.s so mm-hmm. i was someone that was trying to you know dot eyes and cross t's yeah and so you know i'm thinking i'll be exposed in the hospital or out at the store or maybe just in transit some type of way. I never thought that it would be in the safety of a home where, you know, my friend was just coming from work to home. And he was also really cautious and probably more of a germaphobe than I am because he yeah. has four daughters that are under yeah. nine years old. Yeah. And so, and he has a wife at home. And so for um, him to get it, and that's what I'm finding a lot of people are getting it through family members, getting it through people that are close to them. And so I just say, you know, even though everyone is doing the right thing, you never know where one person could be contracted. And, you know, for us, it, you know, is spread. I have a question for you, Nicole. At what point did either your friend or yourself get checked or tested for it? He he did. So I, um, for full transparency, I never was able to get tested. I had a lot of difficulties um, with medical because all my stuff is set up for the UK. And they started to consider um, this a special service. And so I was told that I couldn't, you know, get covered or any hospital visits and things like that Um, through my job. I work for a bank um, that's pretty big and we have our own medical center. So I was able to do a virtual visit with a doctor in New York, eventually like um, going through, you know, just going through that route. And so, you know, I spoke to him on that Thursday and he told him my symptoms, told him what was going on. And he was like, yeah, you have COVID-19. Luckily, you have been quarantining yourself. Mm -hmm. My friend, um, because he was here and I also had difficulties because I fell into a non, um, at that point, you got to think I was in Michigan mid-March. So now it's a lot more relaxed, but I fell into the category where I was too young, not sick enough and healthy. So one that I spoke to was like, yeah, it sounds like you have it, but you can't come in. And so um, luckily my friend, he has a primary care doctor, which I didn't. And so he was able to do a virtual visit with his primary care doctor and he ordered him an antibiotic and um, ZPAC, as they call it, and also the test. So my friend was able to get tested. And so the doctor that I spoke to was like, well, he got tested, look at his results, see what he, um, you know, that's pretty much for all of you because you guys were in such close proximity and sure. his came back positive. Got it. Got it. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, remarkable. that's remarkable. I mean, for so it just kind of goes to um, confirm what we all already know that you, one, you, you could, you could get it anywhere. Yeah. Right? Anywhere. It's spread, it's spread by droplets and also apparently by 
aerosol. The only difference is that it's aerosolization means that it's smaller. Something that is aerosolized can, can spread and get further away than something that's actually droplet that supposedly falls three to four feet in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that's where the six foot social distancing mm-hmm. number came from because they say, well, it's 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 droplets. So, you know, if it's a droplet, droplets don't go further than six feet. Right. Um, yeah. However, there is some of it. There are some studies that have suggested that it can be aerosolized, which means that it can actually go farther than six feet. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then there's also the issue of fomite spread, which just means the particles that land on something. So if, you know, someone who has its, you know, sneezes and it gets on a, on yep. a door handle or, you know, and it can live on surfaces. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you touch a, if you touch a door, a surface where someone has sneezed and particles landed on it and you touch that surface two hours later and touch your face, in theory, you could get it. Yeah. And, you know, your friend who was going to work was coming in contact with people who may or may not have been um, really doing the whole social distancing thing or taking it seriously. Yeah. Right. So he gets it from them. And then, of course, everybody who is sharing the same quarters in that house. Yeah. And like I said, he was cooking. So, yeah. You know, and, you know, in the kitchen. So the droplets, the handles, like we were, you know, it's a communal space. So like his daughters were in and out. And so that's something else that I'll say is like to the point that you made earlier about being asymptomatic. His wife, who we were still maybe a bit naive and not understanding enough about the information about what really, which I would say, like what quarantining actually meant. Did it mean that that person needed to stay somewhere and then, you know, could other people be in light contact with them? So for the first five days, only until he spoke to the doctor, his wife was sleeping in the same bed as him. Yeah. So, but she never had a symptom, never became sick. Wow. took care of us the entire time. And, you know, now we can joke and be a bit more lighthearted about it. But if it wasn't for her not getting sick, a nine-year-old would have been taking care of three adults in the house. That was going to be my next question. So she didn't get sick. What about the kids? She never got sick. None of the kids, except for the one that was four years old that we felt had a slight fever, but that could have came from anywhere just because they were still at that point, just had finished stopped going to school. Um, She was fine the next day and Mm -hmm. has been, we joke. And has been, um, you know, we joke about her. She's the greedy one. She's the one that wants breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And her energy levels have been fine. And the kids go outside and play. They're able to join school. They're doing their Zooms. They're like, if you would have just seen the wife and the kids, they would have been like, oh, wow, look at these people with COVID. You know, like they, to your point, people are walking around. And so his wife was at the point when he went upstairs on Thursday, except for the social distancing that we did, no one else was in close proximity with him. I mean, sleeping in the same bed, taking a shower in the same bathroom, you know, turn, rolling over and joking that his face was right in front of hers. And she never once had a symptom, never yeah. once caught a fever, never had any body aches, never had diarrhea. Never. You would never have known from her that she was sick, which I think we were um, happy that we had each other so we can balance it of each other. He's a um, African-American man and his symptoms were worse than mine. A lot of the same similar. Um, I'll just give his st- 
stats just so it's more information for people. But I was always cold. He was always hot. Like he was sweating like crazy. I will get chills um, very frequently during the day. And at night I would have really bad night sweats. Um, He, you know, we both went through the same thing, the diarrhea, but his were probably like, you know, coming faster and a bit stronger than mine. Um, And he was sick with a fever for 10 days. I was sick for seven. And so it is something about how men and women are, you know, particularly in our community are contracting this. Um, You know, his were coming like a rainstorm. And I think also something else that we felt with him is that I could at least see the kids from a far distance because I was in a family room, which isn't subjected and it just couldn't be totally cut off. So I could see them maybe once or twice a day. And I feel like that did something for me. But, um, you know, his wife, his kids, I'll tell their ages. So people are curious. They're nine, six, four and two. And none of them were sick. They were running around and fully themselves. And his wife, um, who's in her late 30s, is the same as well. His wife, African-American, too. Yes, she's African-American as well. So listen, Okem, Dr. Okem, I, I have the question. It's, it's, hot, it's difficult for me to call you Dr. Okem because I call you Okem. So it sound very oh, official yeah. when I say Dr. Yeah. Okem. No <laughs> Dr. Okpara. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, okay, this is such a super interesting um, situation. You know, we have a, a, an African-American family quarantined together, two people in the house um, that are exhibiting the symptoms. What What's your medical advice in terms of what to do when you're quarantined with someone that's infected? Are there any go-tos or must-knows that we we need to be considering? Wow, that's difficult. I mean, first of all, it's difficult. First of all, I'm just sort of flummoxed that the wife who shared the same bed with him for however many days... Five days. ...showed no symptoms. I mean, it just... The studies have shown that men tend to get a much more severe form of the, of the illness than women and that the mortality is higher in men than in yeah. women. But short of that, I'm not aware of the reason behind it. I'm not sure if it has anything to do with X chromosomes or not, or if it has to do with the fact that men tend to have more other comorbidities. Mm-hmm. But anyway, going back to your question about self-quarantine, I mean, it, it's so I work in the ER and I just and my mom lives with me. My mom fell ill in February. So she, she lives in Nigeria, but she's been staying with us and she's been requiring antibiotics IV every day. And between my mom, who's 75 and my wife's mom, who's in her mid sixties and my wife, who is 38 weeks pregnant, I, as of April 1st, decided that I'd self quarantine because there are, I assumed that my risk of exposure is higher in the ER. Although it's, if you probably really think about it, it's not necessarily higher per se. I mean, I must just as well get it going to the Target or HEB or whatever, any other grocery store. But nonetheless, I self-quarantined, so my wife put set up stuff in a different room for me. And anytime I was in the house, I'd wear a mask. And after my shifts at work, I would shower into the, uh, in the, in the, in the ER Mm-hmm. And then change into clothing there and then change into a pair of shoes. And the shoes that I would wear in the ER were never in the car. I'd have a set of shoes in the car mm-hmm. that never got, I never made it out of the car. And then when I get home, I shower all again before I put a mask on and went out to my family. I've been doing that since March 1st, uh, since April 1st. Wow. And apparently a lot of doctors, especially anesthesiologists, were doing something similar. Some people who had the luxury of a second home were just 
just moved out of the apartment. I moved mm-hmm. out of the house and we're living in the garage or, you know, in their trailer or in this, you know, second condo, whatever the case may be. So, the, you know, the way to self-quarantine, and the, again, the, the isolation varies. For COVID in particular, you cannot touch anything that the person who has it has touched. So that person should be separated in a separate in a, a, a different space. Mm-hmm. And they, the person who has COVID-19, in theory, could go out to an area where other family members are, provided they don't touch anything, mm-hmm. and provided they wear, they wear a mask. Okay. Otherwise, ideally, the person should stay in their own room or in their own quarters, and no one else should come into that room. If anyone does venture into that room, then definitely that person should wear a mask and ideally the N95 mask, not just the regular surgical mask. Right. The N95 mask is the mask that the healthcare workers wear to prevent the virus from getting in, getting past it to you. And those are the ones that have a perfect seal on it that you have to be measured for. Don't just go get anyone and put it on. Mm -hmm. Surgical mask, which is the stuff that you see everybody, you know, the regular surgical mask or some people are making those masks too. Yeah. are more so to decrease the concentration of, of the viral load if someone who has it coughs. It just serves as a barrier to prevent the spread by coughing or talking or breathing. So and do you do you recommend that someone who does not have access to an N95 or an N99 mask, whatever, um, do you recommend that at the very least they are making something from from home to cover up their their nose and their mouths well yeah i mean to be clear a lot of places have passed that that's law in austin that's absolutely yeah so you're required to wear whether and that's where you know where people are wearing their do-rags or not do-rags but their head ties or whatever yeah uh t-shirts over their faces to decrease the likelihood that somebody who has it whether they are symptomatic or not the covering of the face just prevents, uh, serves as a barrier to spreading it out um, and getting other people sick. It by no means keeps you from getting it mm-hmm. if someone has already aerosolized it. Right. Only, only the N95 mask does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to the way, again, in Nicole's case, I mean, the person, she would have to be in a completely separate room. No one would go into that room. Uh, you know, in my case, my wife would bring me food and kind of like, you know, slide it by the door as if I was in prison or something, you know, um, in in uh, in uh, isolation. And I, I again, I went out into the main parts of the house, but I only went out after I had showered or after I'd used hand sanitizer. And I always had a mask on simply because of the risk. Mm-hmm. Now, I stopped my isolation because a week before my wife was due, my wife was due yesterday. She hasn't had the baby yet. A week before she was due, I stopped working. I did my last shift. I took a month off and okay. then waited five days and had a COVID test done on Tuesday of this week. Okay. And my test result came back on Friday as negative. So I took the mask off. Okay. Wow. Uh, and um, yeah. So, time for her in. <laughs> yeah. All right. Exactly. It's a lot of considerations that we're, we're, we have to make. 
um, yeah. very deliberately to just keep our families um, and ourselves safe. I would for us when, you know, just so like from a realistic point, you know, everybody may not have that luxury. We did. We had um, so I had a half bathroom to myself that the kids and the wife, you know, stopped using. That was just for me. My friend was an ensuite, so he was totally segregated. The family room that I was in does not did not have a door, so it was off the kitchen area, but um, they, you know, wouldn't come near and I would stay away. Um, they will have a mask. I would try to wear like a makeshift something around my mouth. Cause at that point we couldn't have any, we didn't have, I had a, you know, the surgical mask and we would use those, but you know, my best friend is a nurse practitioner. And so she was definitely giving us recommendations and helping throughout. And she was like, well, after a few days of using that, you know, you have to throw that away. So, right. um, we were staying far away. We, uh, washed the dishes, you know, like the wife cleaned up everything. I could, I didn't touch anything. I didn't, I literally went to the bathroom and came back, you know, so just being mindful where you can minimize the contact. I didn't touch anybody, didn't touch the kids, didn't touch their schoolwork, you know, didn't do any of that. So mm-hmm. just tell people where you can just have to isolate yourself, which I think goes on to, it's not a physical symptom, but you know, COVID is very mental and, you right. know, people can probably speak about some of that and what he's seen, but you know, no physical touch, no, um, you know, feeling like you're diseased or germ, you know, and not and be, and having anxiety to give it to others, you know, for a while, we were waiting for her for the shoe to drop for her. Like, well, when is her symptoms going to come? And then for her to have the anxiety about, well, why am I not getting sick? And, you know, what's kind of, go, you know, and different things like that. So I would tell people that this isn't just the physical symptoms and isolation. You also have to, you know, cope and endure with the mental part of it as well, especially if you're alone in, in your home by yourself. And so for that, I would suggest early having someone that you could depend on that could drop off groceries um, is something that I tell people, um, you know, especially if you're by yourself and you're afraid to get it or you do get it. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons when you're looking at it, like from a, from a larger perspective and particularly vulnerable communities that are impacted around, uh, around COVID is like so many folks uh, one either don't have the space to isolate in the right ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, also, folks are pushed into jobs and situations that they have to be in that increase their their chances of, of contracting it, particularly from folks that are asymptomatic, um, yeah. as was mentioned before. And, you know, a lot of us um, Black folks um, tend to work in industries or work in spaces and places where we have to choose between uh, our paycheck and protecting our health. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to say I can work at home and and virtually work and actually still have employment um, during yeah. this time, particularly with so many people losing their jobs. But like so many folks, uh, you know, I have a, a friend of mine who, uh, one of my best friends actually uh, contracted it um, and he works, he's a manager uh, at the post office. Um, and so he's an essential employee, had to be in every day. Um, fortunately, his symptoms weren't um, dramatic um, or overly dramatic where he was like hospitalized. Um, but you know, for a few weeks he had to, uh, you know, be isolated and he's still on quarantine, uh, Mm -hmm. right now. Um, but you know, he had to go in the office every day, go into a warehouse of folks coming in and out, supervising the staff that are coming in and out, delivering mail, making sure folks get their packages. And so like one of the devastating things about like this, and particularly as we look at the, the impact on on black communities, is that 
so many folks are like forced into situations where they're they're choosing, like I said before, between their paycheck um, and their ability to take care of themselves and their families um, and potentially their health. Um, and then you put on top of that, you know, pre-existing conditions or things where their immune system is is compromised, and and then also like a, a lot of misinformation that tends to happen within our community. I mean, I think it was mentioned. I think Tumi, you mentioned it before. Like one of the things that we've done, particularly there's this right-wing effort to kind of like sow misinformation. And I, you know, I always tell folks, you know, like look. Like, like we got to talk to real doctors and people that actually study this type of stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, while they don't know everything 100 percent, they're actually looking at the real data and the real information and seeing what's happening and making educated um, decisions about um, how we respond to this. And and so often people are getting so such bad information on social social media that, you know, say like, oh, black folks are not getting it. Or, you know, just to live, you live in a warm climate, you're not getting it. But, you know, we see it happening in Florida. And I've had to do that with even friends of mine. And like, look, like, I don't know, like, and, I, and I'm looking at the sources of information that they're getting it from. I was like, you know, you're getting it off of social media. It's not a rep- source, like take a little bit of time and, and pause, step back and try to reach out to folks that have a level of expertise on this stuff, um, real expertise. And, you know, like every home remedy is not solving it. And, you know, certain things like, yeah, yeah if you're strengthening your immune system, maybe lowers your risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to get it or, you know, you can't spread it, um, things of that Nature And so for our communities, it's really about like really digging down and making sure that folks have one real information, one real access to the healthcare that they need. Because like it's a shame in like Nicole's situation that she couldn't really access the healthcare that she really needed. And it's like it doesn't really I mean, in a situation, a pandemic situation, it shouldn't matter whether you have the insurance or whether you're you're an immigrant or you're, you know, a native born citizen or you're on different type of uh, insurance plans. I mean, folks should just be able to have the access to the healthcare because it it is preventative for all of us. Yep. Um, the more information we have, the more we're able to take care of each other and make wise decisions that, you know, support each other. And, and like I said, so often, that's why I've been writing on some of this stuff. It's like so often our communities have been, have had the lower uh, healthcare outcomes as far as like access to quality healthcare, access to the education around um, healthy living, healthy eatings. We oftentimes live, um, many of us live in food deserts where they're not able to have access to healthy foods on a regular basis. Or or like I said, put into situations where, where folks are working in environments that you know have negative impacts on their health just in general. And then they're exacerbated um, when you have pandemics like this. And so, you know, it's really incumbent. And I, that's why I really appreciate you know, the information being shared on here because it's like real information. It's like, here's what doctors are saying. Here's what uh, a patient that has uh, actually gone through it are saying. And so folks can can really get a real sense. And, you know, you know, women are frontline workers in a lot of such situations like the health, particularly in the healthcare industry and a lot of industries where they're overly exposed and, and it tends to be black women. Um, and mm-hmm. so, making sure that, you know, we're, we're ha- having the real conversations that are necessary to protect our communities and looking out for each other and, and supporting each other during during this time. 
No, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, you know, as and as we're speaking about the community, you know, more recently, I've been trying to do a little bit of digging to see what kind of research and data there is out there to truly understand, you know, what the impact of COVID-19 is, um, you know, how it's directly affecting our community. And I mean, like, what are the demographics, um, the, the demographic breakdown, you know, by race, by ethnicity. And there are some states that are releasing that information. There are other states that aren't. So, you know, what's out there isn't at all 100%. Um, but what we are seeing and what we are reading is that, um, you know, the death toll of Africa, African-Americans um, is disproportionately high. It's it's right. incredible that the mortality rates for black Americans is incredibly high. It's crazy. Um, right. You know, some of the data that I've seen, just to list um, a few, is that um, black Americans are dying 2.9 times higher than the rate of Asians, 2.7 times higher than the rates uh, of whites, uh, 2.5 times higher than Latinos. Um, if I go even further, per every... 100,000 Americans, that means on a national average perspective, 23 African-Americans have died from COVID-19, and that was just 14 a few days ago. Nine whites have died, nine Latinos, eight Asians per 100,000 Americans. So we are out, out dying, if I can create a new word, um, and, you know, I think, Diallo, you've touched already on, you know, some of the reasons why we are um, more exposed to the virus um, because, you know, our communities are being put in situations where, you know, they're having to choose a paycheck over their health. Um, what do you think are the needed changes that need to happen, um, whether it's to our healthcare system, whether it's in terms of what we should be demanding, how we should be raising awareness? Like, what, what do we need to do to put ourselves in a better position here? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that I've been saying for a long time around this is in, when you look at the disparities that have long uh, existed in this country um, as it relates to, to Black folks, to African Americans, um, I think that has to be a central part of the conversation that there have been racist structures that have existed in this country for a long time that have put black folks particularly um, in a much more desperate situation when it comes to health care, when, when it comes to housing, when it comes to jobs, all of those things, because they're all interrelated. Um, and and so from a policy perspective, one is not it's great that folks are starting to collect the data. I think the data is is vitally important. But it's also what we do with the data. So once we know that there are disparities, we have to drive resources um, dramatically into communities that need them the most. Um, and so for black and brown communities, if we're looking at folks dying, it's not because we're black and brown per se that we're dying. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and folks can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a medical doctor, but it's because of all these other uh, mitigating circumstances that put us in a more desperate situation. One, we don't even go and get healthcare right away when we feel sick in the first place. We use emergency rooms more often than other uh, groups as our primary healthcare um, deliverer. So we're not even dealing with the, the, the issues that we have on the front end. We always are dealing with those issues um, when they become extreme circumstances. And so, 
you know, you look at, you know, the high number of deaths for me, it was never surprising. I mean, I have white colleagues that I work with and they were like, yeah, wow, this is, this is crazy. I'm like, I mean, it's expected in a situation like this because of how black folks have historically been treated in this country. And so let us make sure that we are, you know, looking at how we reform systems and making sure folks have the types of access to care early on in the process um, to make sure that they're they're getting the support they needed to be healthy um, throughout this process. I mean, you know, like I said, it's devastating for everybody. Um, but when you're in a situation where you never see a doctor, you don't even know if you have high blood pressure, hypertension, um, diabetes, or heart disease until it's catastrophic. Um, and so, like, when you have that already existing in our communities, the health outcomes, particularly even for black, black men, are so bad that compared to other groups, it's like you have to start dealing with those real issues that have already existed and making sure that, um, you know, particularly folks that are on the front lines, they're getting, you know, hazard pay to be out there doing the work that they're doing and saving everybody. I mean, it's amazing now, like one of the things I was thinking about, like, you know, particularly as I'm sitting at home getting deliveries and stuff, and it's like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the faces of the folks, see the black or immigrant community yeah. that are that are doing that work, yeah. right? And when yeah. they're coming in and it's like, wow, you know, they're the ones that are taking care of this country. It's like doctors, nurses, healthcare practitioners, you know, folks that work in the EMS, but also folks that are working in grocery stores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> folks that are on, you know, that are delivering our food, um, you know, folks that are working in these, you know, poultry plants and and meat packing plants, uh, and they're the front lines. They're what's actually keeping our country moving. Um, and mm-hmm. so oftentimes they're the most devalued folks in our communities. And so it's like really reframing how we think about this stuff going forward and how we look out for folks that are really, you know, have been taking care of us every single day um, for a long time and driving resources to those folks. So, And yeah. I think you think about it, not even from the professionals, but for the people that's working at the fast food, like we're probably seeing over the past couple of days, you know, the pizza deliveries and people giving away stuff for free. When you go to these places, a lot of times they're young, you know, mm-hmm. minorities. And a lot of times they may not be as sick or they may not get as sick, but think about how many times they're handling cash or getting money and reaching out something. And I haven't done any deliveries um, for food or anything like that. I've done Amazon, but, you know, I remember going to different places and still not seeing them protected. You know, right. still going out and not seeing them with, you know, with, with the gloves on or before the mask, like um, Okem mentioned about being mandatory, but they wouldn't have mask on. You know, I saw a grocery worker that was a black woman talking on her phone around the grocery store a week ago. And I'm just like, sis, like you got to stop, you know, spreading, but also exposing yourself. But, you know, so a lot of times it's not even those who are on the front lines that have to go to work where they're, you know, are still in a union and still can have some rights. It's also the people that are going out working in places where, you know, you need this job and they are really keeping people afloat. Because I know I have a lot of friends on social media that's excited to get their free whatever from Wendy's. Um, And a lot of times they're your brothers (laughs) and sisters that are serving that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of thoughts and I'm going to try not to be super long winded. Um, One, presumably Nicole actually had the ability to, you know, pay for her COVID test should she have wanted one. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she was unable to get it 
initially highlights something about our healthcare system. I'm just going to leave it at that because if I start to go down that rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that'll be for the that, next that's episode. That's exactly. That's yeah. number one. So how much more difficult for somebody who yeah. neither had, who didn't have the means, okay? Um, you, went, you, you, quite, you, you, you asked about, uh, you know, the, oh, black people not getting, I saw the clip, I think it was Waka Flocka that was on some uh, DJ thing in New York saying, you know, black folk can't get it. To be honest, I'm not sure where it started in the U.S. I am aware that in Africa, there is that thought. Mm. Um, and, and, and I believe I understand where it comes from. One, there are some suggestions that it's, the virus is unstable in hot weather or hot temperature. And we know that the flu season tends to wind down in the summer and pick back up in the winter. So there's something about it being hot that slows down the transmission or spread of the virus. And we are okay. hoping or assuming that's going to be the case uh, with COVID. In a Africa, where it is most hot almost all year round because of the tropical or equatorial location of most of those African countries, there might be a component of heat that plays a role. There might also be a component of, again, this hydroxychloroquine that the president was touting was yes. going to be a groundbreaker drug. To the extent that it was slightly helpful, and again, the, the studies actually have shown that it wasn't. Some of the studies here have shown that it wasn't. But to mm. the extent that it might have been, chloroquine is used to treat malaria, uh, malaria in West Africa all the time. Yep. So it's also possible that a significant... I've been on chloroquine several times. Same here. Uh, back in the day, right. And so there is a likelihood that just in general, that a significant percentage of the population in a lot of these sub-Saharan or West African countries are have either been on chloroquine recently enough or are taking it for malaria. Mm -hmm. Again, this is all sort of anecdotal, so I'm not quoting research or studies. I was actually reading an article that was addressing specifically why they think it's lower uh, in Africa. And then the third thing I heard of was some sort of vaccine, a BCG vaccine that apparently is given in Nigeria, um, in Africa, that people think may confer some kind of immunity. Um, but again, having said that, we do know for a fact that it affects black people. I mean, Nicole is, yeah, she's had it. And we all see the stats in the U.S. And we know that a significant percentage of the mortalities are African and African-American mm -hmm. for the reasons that Diallo mentioned. You know, I saw Doc talking about it. He's based in New Orleans and he was talking about some of the things that we know about already. Not having the means to have regular health care anyway. Having a job where you don't have the luxury of being able to work from home. Where you have to make that decision between, hey, do I, you know, go to work and risk getting this thing or do I basically die of starvation, right? Mm -hmm. Or even where you have these food deserts where they don't eat, they're not eating well-balanced meals and they don't know where the, their next meal is going to come from. There's always sort of that state of fight or flight where your body is releasing stress hormones that tends to decrease immunity in some, in some amount when mm -hmm. they actually do wind up getting um, ill. I mean, I've read some studies that suggest that not getting enough sleep affects one's immunity mm -hmm. and so african-americans who live in you know these situations where they are they don't make enough money they don't get enough sleep they're, they're living in tight quarters they have a job where they have to work around people or they don't have the luxury there are so many different reasons it's sort of a complex uh there are multiple reasons why 
it affects African-Americans more. And I actually read something recently that suggests that there was something about a receptor that the virus binds on that um, causes a more severe disease. And I believe that it's African-Americans have that receptor a little bit more, which is why we have a lot more hypertension. Hypertension is more prevalent. I have mm-hmm. high blood pressure and I take two medications for it mm-hmm. at high doses to control my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And either the fact that I have the hypertension and one of the medicines that I take to control my hypertension apparently makes me at more risk to have a severe form of the disease should I contract it. Wow. You know, but but again, at least I have the luxury of saying, at least for now, I'm going to take a month off from work. Mm. And should I get it? By the way, there's no treatment for it. So, I, you know, uh, to me, when you mentioned earlier that, oh, you know, we're treating patients, I, I wish I could say we were, but we are diagnosing people. Got it. it. Yeah. And then sending them home and telling them what to do. Mm. Only recently did we start with pretty much testing everybody because we couldn't get our hands on the kids. When Nicole got sick, she was. It was around the time when, if she had come to the ER, she would have. I, and I was on the phone with her. I would have told her, "Well, you know, when we have a limited resource, yeah. we ration it out to the people who are most likely to have a severe form of illness, were they to get COVID nineteen, and that would be people that are elderly over the age of sixty, people mm-hmm. that have high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, or other medical comorbidities." Or if you're young and have really unstable vitamins. And so if you are a young, healthy person like Nicole is, and you came in saying, oh, I've got a headache and a sore throat, I would have told you, right now we're telling everybody who has mild illness to just stay at home Mm -hmm. and not come to the ER because the tests are not readily available and we can't really test everybody anyway. And you're only more likely to expose someone else's grandma. So it would have been difficult for her to get the tests three or four weeks ago as a young, healthy person too. Yep. And that was my, that was my case. Also, when even I'll tell them like for me, and we can talk about an hour later, but you know, I was at risk because I'm here because my mom has cancer, had a, you know, had spinal, you know, had 11 and a half hour spinal procedure less than two weeks before I um, got sick and then went right to radiation immediately and now is being treated for breast cancer. So it's like, you know, and mm. everybody I would live with or be with while I'm in the U.S. are, um, you know, highly, yeah. highly at risk. Like my parents are over 60, including my step parents over 60. My grandmother is 85, you know, like the, my aunt is sick, you know, so it's like, you know, there's also that piece of it. So yes, I'm well enough to go quote unquote home, but what about, and Diallo talked on this, but what about the family members, you know, that I'm exposing myself to? And that's been a big question. I've transitioned back to my mom's last Two weeks ago on Tuesday. So Tuesday will be two weeks this upcoming Tuesday. Um, and, you know, I waited 16 days before I came back over um, post not having any symptoms. And so um, some people don't have the luxury to be in a different place and to quarantine themselves away. And that was something that, you know, I'm still going through to this day. You know, my mom had you know, was feeling a bit feverish and we're all like paranoid because you're just waiting to see if something. But, you know, 
fine and things are okay. But that's the other part. So even once you have it or exposed to it, you know, those knock on effects that we just don't have much information for is still impacting people, which I think leads to that mental, that anxiety, that pressure to go to work and all those things that, you know, we've spoken of today. But you know, it's not just you. And I think that that's what people have to realize is that, you know, I'm fine, quote unquote, at the time I got sick to not get tested. But what about all the people I'm coming in contact with and living with possibly? Luckily, I did have quarantine, you know, separate away from them. But what if I did it and I just had to come and expose my mom? You know, that was and still is a worry. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Oh, there is so much to talk about with this. I feel like we could keep on having this discussion for another couple hours, quite honestly. There are so many different avenues we could go down. I'm finding myself holding myself back from digging deeper into some of these questions. But in the interest of time... Just write down some notes and we'll do a part two later. I was going to say, we might have to get get you guys together (laughs) again for sure. Um, This is just literally the tip of the iceberg. Um, But just um, to wrap... If we can just go round, I just want to understand what the biggest adjustment um, has been for each of you since COVID has hit. Um, and, you know, on lighter notes, what's the first thing you're going to do once all of this is over? I'll start. Um, I, uh, what I've taken away, I mean, it's just so many. I think that could be another discussion. Um, you know, I believe in God and I believe that, you know, this has definitely brought me closer and has revealed things from God to me in my life. Um, I think that I have a clarity and, you know, which some people find out a relaxedness around this now, like before I was like probably so many of you who haven't had it on edge about catching Corona and, you know, or the coronavirus or COVID-19 or getting sick. And when you're sick, that was probably the most relaxed time, you know, nervous because I'm checking my vitals and making sure my breathing and stuff is fine. But it was the first time where I was like, I'm not worried about getting it. You know, it was like the the week that I could actually feel like, let me just focus on getting better because the other the big thing um, that I'm scared of can't happen. And so I think post having it, I'm so thankful, which is why. I'm so um, honest about my story and honest to, um, and, you know, actually I'm a proud survivor because I think that people need to see more of that. And so for me, um, I think that this is something that has just, you know, been able to show me that, you know, I am a fighter, I am a warrior, my body took care of me and I have to honor that. And so um, for me, that has been, you know, like a big thing that I've taken away. Um, You know, we haven't talked about it, but I just want to spend a second and talking about, you know, a lot of the things Diallo and Okem and we've talked about has been about African-Americans, but there's also this shame that is so prevalent in our community. And Mm. I wrote um, a Facebook article or Instagram post and shared it on Facebook and it's gone crazy. I had over like 3,200 shares of people. And so I've received, I've been inundated with people reaching back out and saying, I have it or I had it and I haven't told anyone. Um, You know, Mm. I'm quarantining myself away and I have no one to talk to, um, asking me for what I did because they don't have medical treatment or 
didn't have the access, you know, so while I didn't have treatment, I do have friends who are ER medical doctors and best friends who are nurse practitioners. And so I did have some medical oversight and access to that, that some people didn't have. People were asking me the vitamins and everything that I've taken. And a lot of that I've had to say, I'm not a medical doctor. Our symptoms, this is different for everyone, but I've still tried to be hopeful. And I think that, you know, we need to talk about and deal with that part of it. This is going to last much longer than when the world opens back up and people have to be prepared for the internal side and the mental um, capacities that this is also going to impact us for our years and hopefully not, but for maybe generations to come. And so that's why I'm so open to be like, hey, you don't have to have shame about this. You know, COVID doesn't have a look to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no um, nasty person or there's no wrong answer. Even if you did do something that was a bit careless that exposed you, you know, you need to focus on fighting this. And that's been a lot of the advice that I've given. So I just wanted in our community not to have this sense of shame or, um, you know, feeling about yourself that you're a bad person or that you don't want to be seen as one of those people that's had it. And so um, for me, that has been something that's impacted and has revealed itself to me about, you know, like I love black people, but I love us more now. And, you know, and I want us to take better care of ourselves um, now. And so if I have to be the poster child for what it looks like to overcome and fight this, then I will um, be that. And so that's been a huge thing. I never, I thought I was coming here. I bought a ticket for a week and I've been here um, well over two months. And so it's been, you know, something that it's like dramatically changed the course of my life. Um, to your question about the first thing that I'm going to yeah, do. Tell us. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I want to grill. I want to go to Houston or go to the South somewhere. And yeah. I've been wanting one for a while and I just haven't prioritized it. You know, and it may seem silly or whatever. Like, yeah, I want to see my friends and family. But I feel like I definitely talked and seen a lot of them more FaceTime or, you know, um, through WhatsApp video than I have mm-hmm. even while living abroad, because a lot of times we'll just catch up over text or DM. Yeah. But now we've taken that time and people have wanted to quote unquote, see me and, you know, make sure I'm doing okay and check on my parents and things like that. So I feel like, you know, closer in a sense to my family. So I definitely want to see my family and friends and do that. But I really want to go to Houston or New Orleans and get a grill. It's been on my list for a while. And, you know, hopefully, you know, when it's safe to have someone (laughs) again um that's what I want to (laughs) do when that happens please take a pic and send it to us we want to see that I already got it it planned out so yeah I'll definitely like the texture lounge get a sneak peek (laughs) yes that's funny uh Diallo biggest adjustment for you and what are you going to do when this is all over yeah, I mean, the biggest adjustment for me is like, you know, I'm used to going into the office every day and, and you know, I'm at a point where, you know, we're working from home virtually, actually, which is like now been kind of normalized and feels a lot more comfortable. Um, but also just having to keep my kids at home. I mean, my, I have teenagers, so, you know, 13, 17 and 19, my, my oldest was in college. So mm-hmm. like he's actually home where he would have normally been enjoying his you know, freshman year yeah. college. And so, I mean, they've been great, actually, um, really great. And, you know, we're blessed to have a little bit of space, like mm-hmm. outside space, so we can be in the backyard. It makes a difference, right? Yeah. yeah, it definitely makes a difference. But, you know, it's been an adjustment just not having that that um, ability to kind of really move freely like you want to. Yeah. Um, 
And also, you know, like, you know, I keep in touch with my mom, but just not being able to like just drop by the house and go say, hey, what's up, mom? You know, how you doing? Whatever. You know, mm-hmm. talk about whatever face to face and spend quality time there um, is also been been difficult. Um, but like like, you know, was said before, for me, it's like, you know, it's a time it's a reset time for us. Um, I've been much closer like my friends. We do a happy hour every Friday on Zoom. Nice. <laughs> We cut up, you know, talk about all the stuff that I can't talk about at work, <laughs> you know, just with, you know, folks that are close enough to you um, and really just be yourself. And and we do it every Friday. I mentioned like one of my friends uh, that worked at a post office. He was um, yeah. contracted, but he's doing much better now. Got um, to hear that. He's on the happy hour. So we're, you know, chatting it up and doing those kind of things. So it actually has given us a chance to to be a little bit closer than we were. I mean, you know, we've been best friends for a long time, you know, a group of us, but uh, probably, you know, with families and distance and stuff like that, haven't spent as much quality time together. And so like us just getting on that happy hour every Friday has been like a, a tremendous release um, for me um, and for folks. I mean, one thing I did want to say, you know, before we close out too, though, is that I just hope that, as this continues to move forward and like 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 Nicole mentioned, it's going to be around for a while mm-hmm. um, that we remember that communities have been vulnerable. So the, the gaps that have always exist for for um, African-Americans and black folks in this country have been what it was. But the economic strain is going to be tremendous on, oh, on yeah. black communities going forward. And even those of us that are that are, you know, have a, a level of privilege. Um, we have gaps within our own industries versus our, you know, white colleagues um, that do the same work that we do. And those gaps are exacerbated um, during these type of crisis times. And so we can't walk away and say, well, you know, after things are normalized, we go back to a new, uh, the old way of doing things. Um, we really have to double down. And so, like, I really, you know, hope that we do the hard work, educate our, you know, brothers and sisters um, in our communities around this stuff, but also really like make sure we we really push systems in this country and also systems around the world and, and our di- diaspora around the world yeah. to make sure that we're, you know, we're connected to each other in a way that we uplift each other and also don't let folks um, continue to marginalize us in the way that we have been throughout the world. Um, right. But yeah, the first thing I want to do is I want to grab, you know, go see my mom, go to see my in-laws, see my siblings, uh, and give them hugs, and then, like you said, get on that grill <laughs> <laughs> and just be outside a little bit more um, than I've been able to do. Awesome, thanks, Diallo. Okay, how about you? Um, well, given the fact that I essentially discontinued my quarantine a few days ago. I've sort of, you know, the, the month prior to that, I I was trying to, I wasn't trying to not hug my wife, but I wasn't, and, you know, she can't keep her hands off of me, so she kept coming in, <laughs> getting hugs from your boy. Anyway. I believe that. <laughs> pregnant now. <laughs> Actually, I did something where I, uh, the day the day when I got the notification of my text message, I had my mask on, I walked back in the house, and, uh, you know, I had my mask on, which I've been wearing for a month. And I walk into the room and she's on the phone talking to my sister. And I put down the mask and I plan to kiss on her mouth, like full tongue, right? And she's like, wait, wait, what? You know, and I haven't 
having a history <laughs> of mom because I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that kind of was like, three. like, oh my God, you got your test back. It was negative. You know? <laughs> um, so I, I do, so I've already done that. But what, one thing I will do when this is all over, and by the way, unfortunately, I'm not sure that we're going to, there's almost a part of me that doesn't want us to get back to the norm because I feel that there are Correct. lessons to be learned from this. Yeah, yep. I agree. Not, I'm going to try not to get too philosophical or too, you know, too deep. I'm also Christian, and I believe that there's there are probably several messages that that we are to to take from this. The one that's first, sort of first and foremost in my mind is that we are not in control of our lives or our existence. To the extent that we as humans think that we call the shots in our existence. I mean, it was obvious when Kobe died. Like, you know, he was he was on a helicopter going, going to his daughter's thing. Boom, gone. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that we take for granted, oh, you know, what I'm going to plan on doing this tomorrow. You know, I'm going to plan that. Um, sometimes it takes something like this where you feel entirely helpless. Like we have no way of knowing or controlling where or if we might contract this thing. And if we get it, are we going to have a mild form, a moderate form or severe form? Like we have zero control over it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And right. so to the extent that people are starting to, you know, well, you can't even go to church, but, you know, to, to, to try to get more spiritual or whatever. I mean, it's great that people are spiritual. I think that, uh, you know, uh, Christianity calls for a little more than that. But again, my point is that it's it's not it's a lot of things that we think are under our control are not, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot more that I don't take for granted now. Again, I've always kind of known that, but it takes something like this yeah. to like be like, oh yeah, I it's mean, an awakening. It right. is an awakening. The first thing I'm going to do, I already know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I typically get a two-hour massage oh, yeah. every two weeks. I every one to two you. weeks. You know this about me too, me. That's right. Your boy hasn't gone for about three months now. Ooh. So, you know, my back is stiff. Things are hurt. That's going to be the first <laughs> thing I do is find enough. out even where I could go get a three-hour oh. tissue and have somebody just like, you know, wake me up in three hours when you're done. You know That's what, okay. Yeah. It's because you and I had this conversation in Austin sometime last year about because we're both massage people, right? As soon yeah. as you told me about how regular you are with yours, with yours, you know, since I moved out to Oakland, I found this um, um, this local business, African American woman who does, yeah. you know, really good massages. I tested her out, awesome, right. and I booked, I booked, um, what is it? I booked a package where it was like, I can get 90 minute massages, which I know is nothing for you. That's like five seconds, but for me, I'll take that like one a month. So I've got those lined up for the entire year, but I've had to move them out now, obviously because of uh, Of (laughs) COVID-19. So I'm looking forward to getting back on that routine too. Yeah. Every two weeks, girl. That's how I am. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a good plan going forward. I don't know, but, but you know what? You got to. So again, that's the other thing. You know, you just got to do some of the things if you have to make the time. Because quite often we get bogged down with work. Oh, I'll do this whenever I get time. So it's just part of my self care thing. My wife knows it. Every two weeks, two hours, done. Like she doesn't even. If it's on the calendar, she will plan around. She will plan around it. Right. So, um, I love that. 
Yeah. Love that. Okay. Saying like, there's no, we're not continuing the normal that you had before COVID-19. And so, you know, we will never, ever, ever go back. Like for me, it's like, you know, I, you know, was considering before move, um, before this happened to move back because it's been 10 years in London. And so this kind of has altered, you know, that like if and when I go back, you Mm. know, um, and so I think that this will forever change us. Um, I think it's brought everybody to their knees, no matter what you have, what you earn or what you do. And I think that's something that needed to happen. So hopefully those things make, you know, both of you guys work better because you're getting, you know, more funding, more people of interest who have the um, capacity to give, to give, because you can't go to somebody. And I think that's the unique thing about this. You can't go to anybody and say, hey, you know, we're doing community work X for Diallo, you know, because on the back of COVID-19 and people are like, oh, no, that don't really affect me. I'm not black. I'm not poor. I'm not, you know, this. This has impacted everybody. Even if you have not lost anyone through death, you've lost your sense of normalcy. That's gone. Every We all have that in common. So I just hope going forward that we keep that and know that you won't have the same life you had before. I think in some parts you shouldn't have the same life you had before. Um, and I'm not one of those people that's like, you got to come out here with a business idea. I think if it's like, I love myself more, I love right more. I love, you know, I appreciate the circumstances. I do have more. I appreciate this job more. I appreciate right. the love of others more. I appreciate healthcare workers more. Like Absolutely. all are going to be different on the back Absolutely. of And so, you know, as long as, like I said before, we don't have that shame, particularly in our community, you know, I think we're going to hopefully be better because you've seen people come together because we've had to. And and I think people are going to, you know, be a bit more conscious for that. So to O'Kim's point, you know, I don't want us to go back fully into like everybody working in business booming. I think it's impossible for that from a financial standpoint. But, you know, I um, hope and ho- hope that people know that you won't be normal what you knew normal before and you shouldn't be. So, Nicole, where can people, you know, they want to learn more about your journey or follow your journey, et cetera. Like where can they go to to find you? Yeah, um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, it's Nick Worldwide, um, N-I-C W-O-R-L-D-W-I-D-E. Uh, I'm most active there. If you find me there, you could be able to message, get in touch. I'm on Facebook as well, but that seems to um, Instagram is better um, better place to to be. Okay, and uh, Diallo. Yeah, so um, my organization's website. You can find out more about some of the stuff we're working on there at. Um, at uh, www.pfaw.org. Um, and you can follow me on uh, Twitter at DKBrooks45 on Twitter and I'm on Instagram as Diallo Brooks. Um, and so, yeah, you can find more. I try to post some of the articles that I may be writing or some of the rallies that I'm engaged in in those, in those spaces. Uh, Facebook, yeah, I'm still Diallo Brooks on Facebook too, but... Okay. Um, Diallo, yeah. I feel like you got to change your Twitter. You went so hard on being called Diallo. We got to change yes. that DK Brooks. It's got to be Diallo 45. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that after the fact, after the fact that, you know, when I did it. You know, Twitter is hard because you almost have to start over. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. Listen, we'll have to petition to make that change. We'll have to, we have to Absolutely. get together to yes. get that yes. name for you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Okam, how can we find out more? Um, how can my listeners hear more about you and what you're doing? 
Well, you know, I'm, uh, I guess uh, I'm an old soul, so I never got past Facebook. You know, I started back in the day with Friendster and MySpace. Oh, about the time, MySpace. And by the time Facebook came around, I was like, I'm done. So I am not on Twitter <laughs> and I am not on Instagram. I am on Facebook and my, uh, the ER that I work at, Austin Emergency Center, is on Facebook as well. We have a okay. website, www.austiner.com. And I am just myself on Facebook, Okamefina, not Alex, Okara. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. So listen, what I'm going to do is I've, I have all of your information. I will tag them to the show notes on the website um, so people can tune in to, to hear more about what you guys are doing. Um, just before we move on to the lightning round, okay, which is a little bit of a light relief, you know, my, my overall sort of thoughts and takeaways from this incredible conversation, by the way, guys, is that... You know, COVID-19 has truly level set the playing field, okay? Whether you have money or don't have money, whether you're a celebrity or you're not, you are impacted by this some way or the other. Um, What we all need to remember is that we are in this together. And, you know, to my point already, no one is exempt from contracting this at all. Um, We have to be diligent. We have to be sensible about the information that's out there because there is a lot of information. Um, Some of it is helpful and some of it isn't. Um, So to Diala's point earlier on in the conversation, you know, don't be, you know, forwarding any and everything that you that lands in your WhatsApp group message to to the entire universe. You know, be sensible with it. Do the research. You know, use common sense. As my mother would say, common sense is of no common use. Not everybody has it. But I'm I'm hoping that those that are listening have some um, some common sense um, to to be a bit more diligent about that. Um, And then lastly, to Nicole's point, if you have COVID-19, if you've contracted it, Share your experience if you're comfortable. You know, there is no shame in it. Um, I think we need to, we, we have to talk more as a community. Um, we have to share Absolutely. our experiences. Um, we're all in this together. And if we're all kind of siloed in the little corners of our homes, not sharing what we're going through, um, how do we, quote unquote, normalize the experience? I mean, we don't want it to be normalized, but, you know, we just need to understand that, there are so many people who have this virus right now that do feel ashamed of it, um, and they, they shouldn't, quite frankly. Right. All right. Okay. Lightning round. Are you guys ready? Super, super fast. I'm going to fire out some questions to you guys, okay? So um, I've never done this with multiple guests before, so this will be interesting. Um, I think we should do hmm, – we've got to do this in order. So let's start with Nicole, ladies first then Diallo and Okam. That's the order in which the questions will be asked, okay? You guys clear? Sure. Okay, multiple choice, all right? Don't think about it too long. One second. Okay. All right. So, first question, spicy or mild? Mild. Ugh, no spice. Damn, I want to talk about that. <laughs> all right, spring or fall? Um, nope. Fall. fall. Nope. So, this would be um, Diallo. So we're going to go get Nicole, Diallo, and Okam. Oh, okay. Okay. I see how we're going. Okay. I thought we were all doing it. My bad, y'all. No worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, uh, spring for me. I'm a all spring right. babe. All right. Michael Jackson or Stevie Wonder? Oof. Oof. <laughs> oh, Drum roll. Man. Okay. Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. All right. Kobe or Jordan? Kobe. Rest in peace. Yeah. Netflix or Hulu? Uh, Netflix. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> Agree. 
Hulu needs to step up. Anyway, that's another that's another episode. <laughs> Good stuff on there, but work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of hard to navigate. A couple, couple things, yeah, but Netflix all day. Netflix is like a cousin now. Like you just you just you start there first and then work your way around. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, virtual happy hour or in person happy hour? In person happy hour. Work from home or work from the workplace? Work from home. I'm not a morning person, so I don't. I appreciate you know five minutes to Zoom, and I'm already ready. <laughs> Thanksgiving or Christmas? Uh, Thanksgiving, uh, just because the family is all together. Everybody, like people, kind of disperse a little bit on Christmas. Thanksgiving, everybody is right there. Fair Not- enough. <laughs> I love Christmas. Christmas is like my favorite time. To me, I tell you, I didn't. I, I, when Oba said if we, y'all had the wedding during the twentieth, I was like, dang. I was like, I'm with my kids and my family. That's and right. That's right. So he said. He said. He, he said, I'm staying here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Pack or Biggie? Oh, Biggie Smalls. Yeah, you from Brooklyn, man. You can't, you know. Biggie Smalls. Stay loyal. Stay loyal, Okem. Babyface or Teddy Riley? This is relevant. I thought Babyface won, so I'll go with Babyface. I mean. I think everyone needs to answer this question. So, Nicole, who's yours? Babyface. Babyface? Okay. Diallo. I think on the IG thing, it's got to be Babyface. Because IG, you know, Teddy didn't want it. (laughs) The first time around. <laughs> man, Teddy and his tech, man. Okem? Yeah, I'm going to go babyface, too. All right. So I all of us are. Yeah. yeah. All of us are team babyface. I do like what I saw somebody said, babyface for the wedding and Teddy for the reception. So. <laughs> Teddy, Teddy for the after party. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, D'Angelo or Maxwell? Hmm. Mm. Um, who, who's, whose go is this? I've lost track. I think I think it's Nicole's go. Because oh, oh it's still my go. All right. Um, uh, D'Angelo, I could go either one. Okay. Okay. Uh, juice or boys in the hood. Oh, <laughs> oh boys in the hood. Boys in the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Boys in the hood all day. Uh, it's a classic. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. And lastly, say it or don't say it. I want, ev- I want everyone to answer this question. So, Cam, you say, say it. Yeah. You Kay. say, yeah, I'm pretty blunt. You say, you know, you say the politically correct ways to say things, but I'm a fan of letting people know what's going on as opposed to keeping it in. Unless I'm misinterpreting the question, but I'm going to say it, guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say it. I feel like you can always say more to correct or ex- further explain or say nothing because what you said the first time mattered. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with everybody else with the say it. Got to say it. Got to tell the truth. Let folks know. Um, can't be hiding it and step up and say it. Right. You guys mm-hmm. are awesome. This is like the best way for me to kick off my Saturday. I feel like I can uh, power <laughs> through whatever whatever comes. But um, thank you guys so much for you know stepping into my little lounge today and just sharing some words of wisdom and experiences, thoughts, Um I honestly feel like we could have more conversations about this and part two and a part three, but this is, this is just the, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So thank you so much, honestly, for your time today. Maybe once Kim has the baby, we can hear about 
um, how that went and how everyone is doing. I'm happy to do a part two or whatever yeah. people eat. And I will also say to me, it's not your little lounge, it's a big lounge. What you're doing is very good work. And, you know, you got to speak power into what you're doing. And I know people, whoever needs to hear this, even if it's just one person, it won't matter. So you, you're a big lounge. And welcome to the family, Tumi. Thank you. Okem, Nicole, Diallo, thank you so much. You guys enjoy your Saturday. Thank Thank you. you. Pleasure meeting you too as well. Definitely. Be safe.